Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We have been talking about in our class of history of Jewish theology and how it filters into the Sidur. We have been talking about various understandings of God in the Bible, in the Tanakh. Um, and in our last few sessions, we've been talking about the idea that is experienced by the biblical authors of God is a, I hesitate to use this word, uh, God is a personality in relationship with us. Um, maybe if I say it in reverse, it'll sound less shocking. God is in relationship with human beings. Um, and thus God is depicted as a personality with feelings. Um, and we talked for a couple of weeks about God in the Nevi'im, in the prophets and how the prophets are really the ones who, uh, well, it's one set today. We're starting today. We're going to do the other set. The prophets are one set of biblical authors who experience God as personality. And we talked quite a bit about God as being angry or God as um, being pleased and loving and joyful uh, in response to human beings. And we read from Heschel, who said that um, this is because God takes humanity seriously. And if you say that God is unmoved by anything that we do, a Maimonidean view of God, then that means that God does not take human beings seriously. A corollary, a necessary corollary, it follows from the idea that um, if God takes human beings seriously, then God reacts to what we do. What I pointed out was in the so uh, for if you if you missed that, I urge you to go back and listen to. I think it's three classes worth with the source sheets. Um, what I did point out was the prophets, uh, and when I say the prophets, I mean like, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micha, Amos, all those people whose names we know. The prophets generally talk about God in relationship with Israel as a group. They generally do not talk about God in relationship with individuals. It's in the material we're going to start looking at today in the Tehillim, in the Psalms, where the psalmist frequently experiences God as in relationship with the psalmist as an individual. Um, the traditional understanding is this is King David, David Hamelech, the author of the Psalms. The non-traditional Bible scholar understanding is that these Psalms are poems that were written by different people over different times and were gathered together into one work. They're extremely disparate. They many, many different themes, by the way. And there are Psalms that talk about Israel as a group. They're historical Psalms that talk about all the things God did for us. They generally don't talk about God's feelings. But the ones that talk about God in relationship um, um, focus on the individual, the poets or the psalmist's experience. And there are two major differences between God in relationship in the Psalms from God in relationship in the prophets. One of them 
I said, which is that in the prophets, it's generally with a group of people, Israel, and in the prophets, it's with the individual, me. The other major difference is the prophets tend to talk about God's feelings in reaction to us. I want you to pay attention to the sentence. It's important. Prophets tend to talk about God's feelings in reaction to what we do. The psalmist talks about my individual experience in relationship to God. So there is a clear, either explicit or implicit relationship to God. It's one-on-one, me, the psalmist, the poet, the individual with Hashem. But it doesn't, it only rarely talks about God's feelings. And sometimes the Psalms do impute to God certain feelings, like you seem to be angry with me. But the Psalms don't focus on God's feelings in the relationships, God's reaction, right? Prophets talk about God's reactive feelings in relation to us, B'nai Israel, the people of Israel. The Psalmist talks about how I feel in relationship to God. It's about my feelings. That's the major difference. Okay, so it's still relationship, but it's relationship of the individual and it's my feelings that are centered, the psalmist's feelings. Everyone with me? Um, so we're going to look at a series of psalms. It's already 825, or I think this is going to take two weeks. Um, I have brought, I just added one. So I think I've brought six psalms, of which five will be very familiar to you from our regular liturgy. The sixth, perhaps less so, and that is why we're going to start with the sixth one. Psalm 22 is the one that is less familiar. Um, it's it's actually pretty long. Uh, I encourage you to read the whole thing at home. We're not going to read the whole thing here. Um, in all these psalms, I have bolded the sentences that I think really highlight the sense of the individual in relationship to God. Okay. Um, Psalm 22. Eli, Eli, Lama Azavtani. It's right in your face, man. God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from delivering me and from my anguished roaring? My God, I cry by day, but you answer not by night, and I have no respite. Elohai, ekrai, yomam, velo ta'aneh. So the individual here, by the way, as with many of these psalms of lament, the individual is obviously in some sort of desperate straits. Sometimes we have mentions of sickness. Sometimes we have mentions of I'm surrounded by my enemies who mock me and want my destruction. Sometimes we have images of I'm drowning or I'm stuck in the quicksand or the mire or something like that. And most scholars say that these images are not necessarily meant to be literal, like not that David HaMelech was actually drowning in water, but rather they are metaphors for the poet's sense of the dire straits in which they find themselves at the gates of death for a variety of reasons. And this psalmist starts out saying, God, you have abandoned me. And I want you to feel that feeling. I, I, I want you to, to, to grasp what the psalmist is saying. Um, what famous person in later 
history said a version of this line. Sounds like Jovenel. Simon and Garfunkel have a song about this, but I don't <laughs> oh, yeah. think that's what you meant. Simon and Garfunkel, Paul Simon sings about those. Oh, Lord, why have you deserted me? But I don't think that's the reference you were referring to. Not what to. I was thinking. I was actually thinking of Jesus, right, who says, Ailey, in, in the, in, in, it's, it's kind of, uh, garbled. Um, it's Ailey, Ailey, Lama Zabachtani, which is probably garbled for Zanachtani. And Elise Noach is another, parallel for Azav, right? Why have you abandoned me? Jesus on the cross says this, um, because the New Testament authors, Jesus and the New Testament authors knew their Bible in general, okay? So Jesus is probably quoting a version of this line, right? So I feel abandoned. And then he goes on and says, you know, our ancestors trusted in you, and you did all this stuff for them, right? Which is why basically I'm asking to not be abandoned. Back to the individual, maybe I should have bolded this. Um, I am a worm, less than human, scorned by people, despised by people. Everyone mocks me. So again, we don't know exactly what sort of situation the psalmist is in, but it's something where um, he's feeling persecuted. Let's say that. Next bold section, you drew me out of the womb. Or it can also mean, I have flung myself on you since the womb. Meaning my whole life, I flung myself on your mercy. Mi beten imi eliata. From the moment of my birth, you have been my God. Don't, therefore, I'm putting the therefore in brackets. It's not actually in the text. I'm just putting it in air brackets. Therefore, don't be so far from me when I'm calling out to you because there's no one else to help me. Bullies surround me, et cetera, et cetera. And the third bolded passage, you, O oh Lord, uh, then it tells, goes on a great length about all the people who are gloating at me and they're just waiting for me to die. Um, they divide my clothes amongst themselves, casting lots for my garments, right? Clearly, the story in the Gospels about the Roman soldiers casting lots for Jesus' garments when Jesus was on the cross um, is meant to echo this, Okay. I'm not saying, I'm not saying this is a prefiguring of the New Testament. I'm not Christian. What I'm saying is the New Testament authors knew this passage. Okay. So that's what everyone else is doing. All these bullies who are just waiting for me to die. And again, I encourage you to read the whole Psalm at home, Psalm 22. But you, O Lord, don't be so far off. My strength hasten to my aid. And it ends at the end as, as many, but not all of these Psalms do. Um, the communal element is when you rescue me, if you rescue me or when you rescue me, um, then I will tell the whole story and praise your name amongst the whole congregation and everyone will praise you. And frequently it ends with a hallelujah, right? So what is implied is um, when I am saved, I will go to the temple, I will offer thanks, I will tell this story publicly and you, God, will be glorified publicly. If you save me as an individual, I will glorify you publicly by telling people the story. The story here is, and and um, I just want to emphasize this, I feel totally abandoned by God. You don't have to go very far nowadays in the, to imagine who might feel this way. Um, there's 
I read the story this morning, the little girl where her parent uh, asked her, how, or I don't know if it was a parent, asked her how long she thought that she was in a tunnel and kidnapped. And she said a year was the five-year-old okay. thought she was there for a year. So God, you have abandoned me. I call you and you seem not to be listening. Okay. My whole life, I have flung myself on your mercies. And now everyone is against me. Eno's there. There is none to help. The implication being, right, you, God, are the only one who can help. Vatashem altirchak, don't be so far off. Eyaluti le'ezrati chusha. My strength, eyal, means uh, it's a ram animal, but it also then gets to connote strength. My strength, hasten to my aid. Come help me. Um, this is a very, as we say in Yiddish, this is a very stark um, psalm in terms of the image of uh, what the psalmist is experiencing. And that's why I brought it first. We'll have others which are um, have a similar expression, right? I'm really in a jam. I'm calling to you, God, but are not quite as stark as this one. And this one is probably less familiar because it's not liturgical. All the rest are found in the Sidor and will be familiar to you. I just want to pause to ask for a question or comment. Question, comment, reaction. Larry. I haven't gone over the entire psalm carefully, but this psalm has a pattern, which I've seen in other psalms, and I've actually attended the Shur, which talked about it, where I'm going to crudely call it, it goes up and down. So it talks about how I, one's been abandoned, but then it says, but yeah. you did help me then. Good. And now All I'm right. in a terrible straits. Right. And then in verse it says, in verse 20, it says, but you, O Lord, are not far. So it's going up and down. I'm yeah. in terrible straits. You did help me once. I'm in terrible straits. Will you help me again? I'm in terrible straits. We all are going to sing your praises when I'm saved. So well, it's like, a, yeah, that, it's a good point, Larry. Um, and that'll apply a lot when we look at Psalm 30. We see that, um, the, the Psalm that we say before Baruch Shamar, we'll see that there. Um, this yes. one I want to say is really less so. Okay. By the way, it doesn't say you weren't far from me. It's al tirchak many. Don't be so far away. This psalm is actually pretty down most of the way. There are other psalms that are up and down because the individual's experience is up and down. Okay. Well, right. As, as Rav Shai Held says, because this is the individual's experience in life. Sometimes you feel things are terrible, and then another moment you think like, oh, no, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And then it's like, oh, no, 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 all is lost. And so this the the poet's mood goes along with an individual's mood. This psalm, I want to say, um, is really pretty bad. Um, I don't want to say bad, pretty bleak, okay? up Only up until the very end, okay? Um, there's nothing else about you. I, I think there's nothing else in this psalm about you saved me once. It's about... You looked out for our ancestors, which implies, hey, they told me all these stories about how great you are. Where are you now that I need you, God? So some of these psalms really have a tone of individual, I'm going to say, desperation. And this one really has that. And it's pretty unmitigated, I think, up until the very end. Okay. God is not going to... I am lowly, I'm a worm. And then the last few verses, okay, God does not scorn the lowly. 
So only at the very end. Okay. We'll see what Larry's talking about a little bit later. Okay. Psalm 130. One of the right. Hamalots. Sorry. Right. Another comment. Michael H. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say that, that, uh, not only does the psalmist say that, you know, I, I've, I, be, I believe in you and, and I'm worthy of, of being saved or helped, but also the opposite and, and, and says the opposite tack and says, uh, you, you help everybody else. How come not me? Yeah. I don't want to say, I just want to disagree with the first part. I don't think he says I'm worthy of being saved. He says, I am a lowly worm. I have heard that you save the lowly. It doesn't say I'm worthy. I'm not worthy. But I've heard, God, that you take mercy on the unworthy. Ah, okay. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I've heard you saved our people. I've heard that you are the kind of God who takes pity on the lowly. Well, I'm pretty lowly. Desperate. Desperate. This is a psalm. Oh, by the way, I, I, I might guess, I think this is probably why this is not a liturgical psalm. In other words, why the group mind authors of the Sidur did not select this psalm to be in Sidur, in the Sidur, because most of it is a tone that is pretty, Desperate and alone. God, I am abandoned. I am in terrible straits. We don't know what it is. It's kind of vague. Okay. I've depended on you my whole life. Now is when I need you. Don't be so far away. And then it ends on an up note near the end. By the way, the up note near the end is not really, uh, there is, there is, I believe, I, I, I want everyone to go home and read Psalm 22 and feel free to come back and challenge me next week if I'm wrong about this. Cause you know, I haven't, I haven't say I haven't, I read it all the way through, but I haven't read it all the way through five times. Um, I believe there is not a single note in here of, I know you will rescue me. Other Psalms, which has the change of mood, as Larry has pointed out, Say, I am exulting. I am saved. I know I will be saved. This psalm does not say that. It says, I feel abandoned. They taught me that you always save the people Israel, your great mighty acts. I've depended on you my whole life. I am lowly and nothing. I've heard tell that you are the kind of God who rescues the lowly. Okay. So don't be so far off. And then, yes, there is the end. Okay. God, you are mighty. You are powerful. Um, and then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, but, uh, but I don't think at any point there's a note of God. Thank you. You have saved me. I am assured of your salvation protection. I don't think there's a word of that in here. And maybe that's why it's not in the Sidur because it does not have enough up mood. Maybe. Okay. There are 15 songs of ascent, Shir Hamalots, which we say Shabbos afternoon, uh, between, uh, Mincha and, and Mariv, uh, during half the year. And there are two of them that we say, uh, that, that we're saying now in Shul a lot. Okay. Psalm 130. I call you from the depths. Again, by the way, notice all these. You don't necessarily see it in the English because of the word you. No, sorry. Because of the word, um, because of because of English, in in the Hebrew, everything is in the singular. Okay, it's all I am calling to you. 
Some of the time, it's the deeds you do for other people. I've heard about that. But it's always me calling to you. And that's why I'm basing, I'm, I'm basing my argument that this is all about me in relationship with God. If the prophets are God in relation, reaching out in relationship to us, the Psalms are about, these Psalms are about me in relationship to God. I'm calling out to you, God, hear my cry. Would you listen? Im Adonai mi amod. If you took account of everyone's sins, if everyone got what they deserved, no one could stand before you. Who could stand before you? Who could stand before you? Rhetorical question, meaning it ends with a question mark exclamation point, right? If everyone got what they deserved. So God, in other words, I'm not calling out to God because I deserve to be saved. Because if everyone got with what they deserved, we'd all be sunk, mm-hmm. right? But rather, you're, the reason we have year off for you, Lama'antivare, is because you are forgiving. Not because I deserve to be saved, but I know you're a forgiving God. And that's why Kiviti Adonai Kitana Shivli That is why I look to God, uh, my very essence hopes, and I'm hoping for his word. The, the word, um, yeah, g- given that I'm calling for forgiveness, it's almost as if, you know, uh, implies God is a, a judge. Doesn't quite say that, but, um, I'm waiting for God's word. What would God's word be? God's word would be, okay, dude, you're off the hook on this one. Okay. Um, and I long for you. We, we saw one version of my, the intensity of my relationship with you, God. In the last Psalm, the intensity of my relationship was even from the womb when I was born all my whole life. I have looked to you, O Lord. Here we have a different expression, different kind of expression of the intensity of the psalmists feeling connected to God. Nafshi ladonai mi shomrim laboker, shomrim laboker. I, myself, um, um, English it says, I am more eager. That's really should be in brackets. That's really implied. And the translator puts that in. It's really myself is for God. It's myself is longing for God more than the mem for those know, who know Hebrew. The, this is the mem of comparison. It's not the mem of from me. Shomrim Boker. I long for God more than the night watch people long for morning, you know, the night shift. It's 4 a.m. They're really desperate for morning to come, right? For dawn to break. I am longing for God or expecting God even more than they do. It could either be a sense of certainty or a sense of longing. And it's repeated. Shomrim Laboker. Yay. Even the watchman for morning. Okay. I, I always thought the second repetition of that is being d- different in the sense that referring to the watchman for the morning and then my own plea for looking to the morning. So that that's why I think that repetition is always a distinction that's meant to be a different kind of emphasis. You you can always ask, why is something repeated? And I think it's obviously for emphasis. And there's different kinds of emphases. So your emphasis, Meyer, is I am, it's like they are the Shomrim Laboker, and then the second one is I am like the Shomrim Laboker. I want to make sure I understand your... It's also so hopeful, so in the sense of looking towards morning. Got it. So it is both 
helpful. I was both hopeful, right? You could say the first, I mean, you could say a lot of things. You could say the first one is the desire, the de- almost desperate, oh my God, we're waiting for morning. And the second one is a sense of certainty, waiting for morning. Because of course, what happens always, morning comes, right? That would be a good thing to be waiting for God, just like the watchman waiting for morning. Because no matter how desperate they are, no matter how exhausted they are, morning always comes no matter what. So that would be then a good comparison to make. So I think there are different ways of understanding. The repetition clearly is meant to not just, you know, just for no reason. I think it's for, for you're meant to get something different out of it. So um, uh, notice our English translation does nothing with it. I am more eager for the Lord than watchman for the morning, comma, watchman for the morning, meaning our English translation does not impose on you what sense you're supposed to get from the repetition. Michael. Although I, I haven't heard it in the discussion, I had always thought that the concept of waiting for the morning is because during the nighttime, it's a dangerous, scary time. Yes. Things, things happen in the night. And, right. and so that's okay. Correct. That's, and the psalmist, and the, and again, we talked about various metaphors, okay, that the psalmist uses for their bad straits that they're in, whatever they are. And yes, Michael, this is another metaphor. What I am going through feels to me like a long night. Um, I stuck the word long in, okay, right? And again, night meaning what? Darkness, scary, can't see your way forward. Some people have chronic insomnia for them. Night is a terrible time. They're sort of tossing and turning and feel helpless. Okay. So again, I just want to emphasize again, the individual's sense of desperation. Okay. It's not like in the first Psalm we did, Psalm 22. It's not, I feel abandoned. He's not saying that. The poet is not saying that in this Psalm. The poet is saying, I am in the depths. By the way, if you want to look at the two metaphors, um, we have a metaphor of space, mima'amakim, the depths, and then a metaphor of time, which is nighttime. Okay? So we have space and time. Either way, I am in the worst part of it. The worst part to be in space is in the depths, whatever the depths is. It doesn't really say. Like we say, down in the dumps. We say, I'm at my lowest point, okay? Um, there are other, we'll see later on next week, there, it, sometimes it can be valleys, sometimes it can be Sheol, the underworld. So there are other more specific metaphors for lowness. Here it's just Mima Amakim, the very depths, okay? And, and the implication that this is night, all right? And the desperation of God, God, hey, if you gave everyone what they deserved, we'd all be sunk. Hashem, miyamod, who could stand before you? Therefore, I'm, I'm not relying on I deserve this. Again, Michael, this is not about I'm worthy. This is, is, but you are a forgiving God. That's what I'm appealing to. I'm desperate for that. I'm desperate to hear your word. Um, by the way, that was turned into a pew, this idea, right? What's the word in the Piyut in High Holidays? We're waiting for God to say one word. And that's the word. Salachti. We're waiting for God's one word. Salachti. Ki imcha haslicha lamanti varei. Ki viti Hashem kivtan avshiv lid varo ho I await his word. 
Maybe I'd have to look back at that piyut and see if there's more in that piyut. Maybe that piyut is based somehow, that idea on this psalm. I'm waiting for your word, your word that says that it's okay, which is salakh. You're off the hook, man. Okay. Uh, we'll take a couple more question comments. We're not going to go on to the next psalm today. I'll post it all today, and then we'll go on next week. Alan. Yeah. Um, I just realized we were talking, hearing the word shalim laboka laboka, that that's from tachanun that we say in Psalm 130. And now when we're talking about this in terms of the individual. Who where see- is it? Wait, 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 wait. Where is it in tachanun? Hold on. I'm not disagreeing. Just where is it in tachanun? Oh, well, it's on page 62 of our Sidur, Psalm 130. It's after the first one. Ah, I'm sorry. In our conservative Sidur, which I, and sorry, in this particular edition of our conservative Sidur, which I don't have in front of me, it (laughs) gives you an alternative to Psalm 6, and that is Psalm 130. By the way, Sephardim, uh, don't say Psalm 6 in their Tachanun. They say Psalm 25. Go home and look up Psalm 25. Uh, it's a lot longer. Some mornings when I'm davening alone and I have time, I do Psalm 25 instead of Psalm 6 because I like it. Go on, Alan. So in other words, R.C. Dewar gives Psalm 130 as an alternative to Psalm 6 in Tachanun is what you're telling us. Thank yes. You. Thank you. Yes. And it's, and it's, and Psalm 6 is really much more, Psalm 130 is much more uplifting for the individual than is Psalm 6. Which one might think is why our author, our editors of our Sidur have given that as an alternative, particularly because they know since, since Sephardim do a different Psalm, um, they know that this part of the Sidur, our editors, they know that this part of the Sidur is flexible and not as fixed. And so they say, Hey, I'm going to give you another Psalm as an alternative. We are going to do Psalm six next week. Okay. Just a question. I'm, I'm in general, by the way, the sequence of the six psalms we're doing is from the most bleak to the most uplifting in relationship. That's the sequence. Go ahead, Alan. All right. Um, in the, you, know, you say that this was in addition that the authors that the conservative movement put in here. Yeah. But you say that normally the psalm that would be here would only be Psalm six. Except if you were Sephardic, in which it would be Psalm 25. In the traditional Ashkenazi Sidur, it's just Psalm 6, correct. Okay. It's not, you could say Psalm 6 or 130, take your choice. In the traditional Ashkenazi Sidur, it's Psalm 6. The traditional Sephardi Sidur is Psalm 125. By the way, there's some Sephardi traditions that... 125 and 25. I'm sorry, 25, thank you, 25. Um, um, There's some liturgical traditions that have no Psalm at all, by the way. Um, and the Psalm 130 is put in, in this edition of the conservative Sidur. And th- that always means, you know, is it going to be in the next edition or not? Sometimes the next edition, by the way, the, uh, the, um, what's the new one? Lev Shalem doesn't have the weekday edition out yet. And the editors of Lev Shalem, when there are optional things introduced into Sidur Sim Shalom, the editors of Lev Shalem frequently have their own version of what it should be. So we'll see if it's in the weekday Lev Shalem, if they kept it or if they said like, oh, there's a different alternative that I preferred. Sometimes also, sometimes things that change in a next edition of a conservative Sidur, sometimes uh, without telling you, they migrate Psalm 130 above Psalm 6. And then 
they're, they're kind of switching, you know, which one is the normative one and which one is the alternative. So maybe that might happen also. I don't know what's going to happen in Sidur Lev Shalem on weekdays. And this one also occurs uh, between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. We, we read this one. In Correct. The- this is the one that we say um, throughout the high holidays, right before um, Barhu. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're going to break and we will continue with more Psalms next week. I am going to put the whole thing with all the Psalms up uh, later today, or, or Bert's going to put it up uh, in case you have interest to look ahead. And um, please do give, if you've never read it before, go home and give some Psalm 22 a good long read. And again, if you want to say anything about Psalm 22 or Psalm 130, we'll have time next week. And next week, we're going to look at more Psalms. And that's what we're going to do. We pray for peace in the Holy Land and elsewhere in the world and have a healthy, good day and be Torah. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.